Volume Two, Chapter Six of Rob Roy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rob Roy by Sir Walter Scott. Volume Two, Chapter Six. Hame came our good minute in, and hame came he, and there he saw a man where a man shouldna be. How's this now, Kimmer? How's this? Qua he. How came this carl here without the leave o' me? Old Song The magistrate took the light out of the servant-maid's hand and advanced to his scrutiny, like Diogenes in the street of Athens, lantern in hand and probably with as little expectation as that of the cynic, that he was likely to encounter any especial treasure in the course of his researches. The first whom he approached was my mysterious guide, who, seated on a table as I have already described him, with his eyes firmly fixed on the wall, his features arranged into the utmost inflexibility of expression, his hands folded on his breast, with an air betwixt carelessness and defiance, his heel patting against the foot of the table to keep time with the tune which he continued to whistle, submitted to Mr. Jarvie's investigation with an air of absolute confidence and assurance, which for a moment placed at fault the memory and sagacity of the acute investigator. "'Ah! Eh! Oh!' exclaimed the bailey. "'My conscience! It's impossible! And yet, no! Conscience! It cannot be! And yet again!' Dale had me, that I should say, say, ye robber, ye canteran, ye born devil that ye are, to our bad ends and nay gooden. Can this be you? E'en as ye see, Bailey, was the laconic answer. Conscience, if I am not clean babazed, you, ye cheat the woody rogue, you, here on your venture in the tall booth of Glasgow, what do you think's the value o' your head? Umph! Why, fairly weighed and Dutch weighed, it might weigh down one provost's, four baileys, a town clerk's, six deacons, besides stent masters. Ah, you raven villain! Interrupted Mister Jarvie. But tell our your sins and prepare ye, for if I say the word. True, Bailey," said he who was thus addressed folding his hands behind him with the utmost nonchalance. But ye will never say that word. "'And why should I not, sir?' exclaimed the magistrate. "'Why should I not? Answer me that. Why should I not?' "'For three sufficient reasons, Bailey Jarvie. First, for Auld Lang Syne. Second, for the sake of the odd wife ayont the fire at Stakaverlichen, that made some mixture of our bloods to my own proper shame be it spoken, that has a cousin with accounts, and yarn winnels, and looms and shuttles, like a mere mechanical person. And lastly, Bailey, because if I saw a sign o' your betraying me, I would plaster that, while with your harns ere the hand of man could rescue you. You're a bald desperate villain, sir, retorted the undaunted Bailey, and ye can that I can ye to be say and that I would not stand a moment for my ain risk. "'I can will,' said the other. "'Ye had gentle bloat in your veins, 
and I would be lath to hurt my ain kinsmen. But I'll gang out here as free as I came in, or the very walls of Glasgow Tollbooth shall tell aught these ten years to come. Weel, will, said Mr. Jarvie, blood's thicker than water, and it lies na in kith, kin, and ally, to see motes in ilka other's een, if other een see them no. It wad be sair news to the odd wife below the ben of Stokaverlachan, that you, ye highland limmer, had knocked out my harns, or that I had kilted you up in a toe. But ye'll own, ye dar devil, that were it no your very cell, I would hae grip it the best man in the highlands. Ye want had tried, cousin, answered my guide, that I want will, but I doubt he would hae come off with the short measure, for we gang their out highland bodies with an unchancy generation when ye speak to us a bondage. We don't abide the coercion of good braid cloth about our hinderlands. Let a be breeks of freestone and garters o' iron. You'll find the stained breeks in the iron garters, aye, and the hemp cravat, for a' that, neighbor, replied the bailey. Nay man in a civilized country ever played the pilskies ye had done, but e'en pickle in your ain pocknook, I had given ye wanting. Well, cousin, said the other, you'll wear black at my burial. Dale a black cloak will be there, Robin, but the corbies and the hoodie crawls. I gie ye my hand on that, but where's the good thousand pound Scots that I lent ye, man, and when am I to see it again? Where it is, replied my guide, after the affectation of considering for a moment, I cannot justly tell, probably where last year's snaw is. And that's on the top of the shallion, ye highland dog, said Mr. Jarvie, and I look for payment for you where ye stand. Aye, replied the Highlander, but I keep neither snaw nor dollars in my sporin, and as to when you'll see it, why, just when the king enjoys his ain again, as the old song says. Worst all, Robin, retorted the Glaswegian, I mean ye disloyal traitor, worst of all. Why do ye bring popery in on us, and arbitrary power, and a foist and a warming pan? and the set forms, and the curates, and the odd enormities of surpluses and cerements. Ye had better stick to your old trade of theft-boot, blackmail, sprigs, and gill-ravaging, better stealing now than ruining nations. "'Hout, man! Wist wit your wiggery,' answered the Count. "'We ha' kenned ain another money a long day. I's take care your counting-room is no cleaned out when the gillinanelli come to red up the Glasgow booths, and clear them of their old shopwares. Gillen and Ely, the lads with the kilts or petticoats. And unless it just fa in the precise way o' your duty, ye munna see me oftener, Nicol, than I am disposed to be seen. Ye are a daring villain, Rob, answered the bailey, and ye will be hanged. That will be seen in her tale But I as be the ill bird, and foul my nest, set apart strong necessity and the scry a duty, which no man should hear and be in obedience. And what the devil's this? he continued, turning to me. Some gill-ravager that ye had listed. I dare say. He looks as if he had a bod heart to the highway, 
and a lane crag for the gibbet. This, good Mr. Jarvie, said Owen, who, like myself, had been struck dumb during this strange recognition, and no less strange dialogue, which took place betwixt these extraordinary kinsmen, this good Mr. Jarvie is young Mr. Frank Osbaldistone, only child of the head of our house, who should have been taken into our firm at the time Mr. Rashley Osbaldistone, his cousin, had the luck to be taken into it. Here Owen could not suppress a groan. But howsoever— "'Oh, I have heard of that smake,' said the Scottish merchant, interrupting him. "'It is he whom your principal, like an obstinate odd fuel, would make a merchant, uh, what he, or what he know, and the lad turned a strolling stage-player, in pure dislike to the labour an honest man should live by. Will, sir, what say you to your handiwork? Will Hamlet, the Dane, or Hamlet's ghost, be good security for Mr. Owen, sir?' "'I don't deserve your taunt,' I replied. "'Though I respect your motive, and am too grateful for the assistance you have afforded Mr. Owen, to resent it.' My only business here was to do what I could, it is perhaps very little, to aid Mr. Owen in the management of my father's affairs. My dislike of the commercial profession is a feeling of which I am the best and sole judge. I protest, said the Highlander. I had some respect for this Callens even before I kenned what was in him, but now I honour him for his contempt of weavers and spinners, and sick-like mechanical persons in their pursuits. "'You're mad, Rob,' said the bailey. "'Mad as a March hare. "'Though wherefore a hare should be mad at March, "'mare than at Martinmas, "'is mare than I can we'll say. "'Weavers, they'll shake ye out o' the web "'the weaver craft made. "'Spinners, you'll spin and wind yourself a bonny pairn. "'And this young Berkey hare, "'that you're hoying and hounding "'on the shortest road to the gallows, "'and the devil, "'will his stage plays and his poetries help him here?' "'I think, only mare than your tea-bows and drawn dirks, "'ye reprobate that ye are. "'Will Titire to Patulay, as they caught, "'tell him where Rashley Osbaldiston is, "'or Macbeth, and all his kerns and gala-glasses, "'and your end to boot, Rob, procure him five thousand pounds "'to answer the bills which fall due, ten days hence, "'where they are rooped at the cross, basket-hilts, Andrew Ferris, Leather Targets, Brogues, Brocken, and Sporans. Ten days,' I answered, and instinctively drew out Diana Vernon's packet. And the time being elapsed during which I was to keep the seal sacred, I hastily broke it open. A seal's letter fell from a blank enclosure, owing to the trepidation with which I opened the parcel. A slight current of wind, which found its way through a broken pane of the window, wafted the letter to Mr. Jarvie's feet, who lifted it, examined the address with unceremonious curiosity, and, to my astonishment, handed it to his highland kinsman, saying, "'Here's a wind has blown a letter to its right owner, though there were ten thousand chances against its coming to hand.' The Highlander, having examined the address, broke the letter open without the least ceremony. I endeavoured to interrupt his proceeding— "'You must satisfy me, sir,' said I, "'that the letter is intended for you, "'before I can permit you to peruse it.' "'Make yourself quite easy, Mr. Osbaldistone,' "'replied the mountaineer with great composure. "'Remember Justice Inglewood, 
Clerk Jobson, Mr. Morris. Above all, remember your very humble servant, Robert Camel, and the beautiful Diana Vernon. Remember all this, and doubt no longer that the letter is for me. I remained astonished at my own stupidity. Through the whole night, the voice, and even the features of this man, though imperfectly seen, haunted me with recollections to which I could assign no exact local or personal associations. But now the light dawned on me at once. This man was Campbell himself. His whole peculiarities flashed on me at once. The deep strong voice, the inflexible, stern yet considerate cast of features, the Scottish brogue, with its corresponding dialect and imagery, which although he possessed the power at times of laying them aside, recurred at every moment of emotion, and gave pith to his sarcasm, or vehemence to his expostulation. Rather beneath a middle size than above it, his limbs were formed upon the very strongest model that is consistent with agility, while from the remarkable ease and freedom of his movements, you could not doubt his possessing the latter quality in a high degree of perfection. Two points in his person interfered with the rules of symmetry. His shoulders were so broad in proportion to his height, as, notwithstanding the lean and lathy appearance of his frame, gave him something the air of being too square in respect to his stature, and his arms, though round, sinewy, and strong, were so very long as to be rather a deformity. I afterwards heard that this length of arm was a circumstance on which he prided himself, that when he wore his native highland garb he could tie the garters of his hose without stooping, and that it gave him great advantages in the use of the broadsword, at which he was very dexterous. But certainly this want of symmetry destroyed the claim he might otherwise have set up, to be accounted a very handsome man. It gave something wild, irregular, and as it were, unearthly, to his appearance, and reminded me involuntarily of the tales which Mabel used to tell of the old Picts, who ravaged Northumberland in ancient times, who, according to her tradition, were a sort of half-goblin, half-human beings, distinguished, like this man, for courage, cunning, ferocity, the length of their arms, and the squareness of their shoulders. When, however, I recollected the circumstances in which we formerly met, I could not doubt that the billet was most probably designed for him. He had made a marked figure among those mysterious personages, over whom Diana seemed to exercise an influence, and from whom she experienced an influence in her turn. It was painful to think that the fate of a being so amiable was involved in that of desperadoes, of this man's description yet it seemed impossible to doubt it. Of what use, however, could this person be to my father's affairs? I could think only of one. Rashley Osbaldistone had, at the instigation of Miss Vernon, certainly found means to produce Mr. Campbell, when his presence was necessary to exculpate me from Mr. Morris's accusation. Was it not possible that her influence in like manner might prevail on Campbell to produce Rashley? Speaking on this supposition, I requested to know where my dangerous kinsman was, and when Mr. Campbell had seen him. The answer was indirect. It's a kittle cast she has given me to play, but yet it's fair play, and I wouldn't balk her. Mr. Osbaldistone, 
I dwell not very far from hence. My kinsman can show you the way. Leave Mr. Owen to do the best he can in Glasgow. Do you come and see me in the glens, and it's like I may pleasure you, and stead your father in his extremity. I am but a poor man, but wit's better than wealth, and cousin, turning from me to address Mr. Jarvie, if ye dar venture, say muckle as to eat a dish of Scotch callops, and a leg o' red deer venison wi' me, come ye wit this Sassenash gentleman as far as Dryman, or Bucklevy, or the Clatchen of Aberfoyle, will be better than any o' them, and I'll have somebody waiting to wish ye the gate to the place where I may be for the time. What say ye, man? There's my thumb. I'll ne'er beguile thee. Na, na, Robin, said the cautious burgher. I seldom like to leave the gorbals. I had nae freedom to gang among your wild hills, Robin, and your kilted redshanks. It is not become my place, man. The gorbals, or suburbs, are situate on the south side of the river. The devil damn your place, and you bathe, reiterated Campbell. The only drap of gentle blood that's in your body was our great-grand-uncles that was justified at Dumberton. And you set yourself up to say ye would derogate for your place to visit me. Justified. Executed for treason. Hark thee, man. I owe you a day in Harst. I'll pay up your thousand pun Scots, Plack and Bobby, gin you'll be an honest fellow for Aidens, and just stack her up the gate with this sassnatch. How to well with your gentility, replied the bailey. Carry your gentle blood to the cross, and see what you'll buy with. But if I were to come, would ye really and soothfastly pay me the siller? I swear to ye, said the Highlander, upon the halidom of him that sleeps beneath the grey stain at Inchcalich. Inchcalich is an island in Lanch Lamins, where the clan of MacGregor were wont to be interred, and where their sepulchres may still be seen. It formerly contained a nunnery, hence the name of Inchcalich, or the island of old women. Say nae mair, Robin, say nae mair. We'll see what may be doon. But ye munna expect me to gang o'er the highland line. I'll gae beyond the line at no rate. Ye maun meet me about Bucklevy, or the clacklin of Aberfoyle, and dinna forget the needful. Nae fear, nae fear, said Campbell. I'll be as true as the steel blade that never failed its master. But I must be budging, cousin, for the air of Glasgow Tolbooth is no that or salutary to a Highlander's constitution. Troth, replied the merchant, and if my duty were to be doon, ye couldn't change your atmosphere, as the minister calls it, this are we while. Ockin that I should ever be concerned in aiding and abetting an escape from justice. It will be a shame and disgrace to me and mine, and my very father's memory for ever. How tout, man, let that flea stick in the wall, answered his kinsman. When the dirt's dry it will rub out, your father, honest man, could look o'er a friend's fault as weel as another. You may be right, Robin, replied the bailie, after a moment's reflection. He was a considerate man, the deacon. He kenned we had all our frailties and he lost his friends. You'll no have forgotten him, Robin. This question he put in a softened tone, conveying as much, at least, of the ludicrous as the pathetic. 
"'Forgotten him?' replied his kinsman. "'What's it ail me to forget him? "'A wappin' weaver he was, "'and wrought my first pair o' hose. "'But come awa, kinsman.' "'Come fill up my cap, come fill up my can, "'come saddle my horses and call up my man, "'come open your gates and let me gae free. "'I durna stay long in bonnie Dundee.' "'Wished, sir,' said the magistrate in an authoritative tone. "'Lilting and singing say near the latter end of the Sabbath. "'This house may hear ye sing another tune yet. "'Aweel, we ha' a backslidings to answer for. "'Stanchels, open the door.' "'The jailer obeyed, and we all sallied forth. "'Stanchels looked with some surprise at the two strangers, "'wondering, doubtless, how they came into these premises without his knowledge. "'But Mr. Jarvie's friends o' mine, Stanchels, friends o' mine,' silenced all disposition to inquiries we now descended into the lower vestibule and hallooed more than once for dougal to which summons no answer was returned when campbell observed with a sardonic smile that if dougal was the lad he kent him he would scarce wait to get thanks for his ain share of the night's work but was in all probability on the full trot to the pass of balamaha and left us and a bonheur, me mysel locked up in the toll booth all night exclaimed the bailey in iron perturbation call for four hammers sledge hammers pinches and coulters send for deacon yetlin the smith and let him ken that bailey jarvie's shut up in the toll booth by a highland blackguard whom he'll hang up as high as hammon when ye catch him said campbell gravely but stay the door is surely not locked Indeed, on examination, we found that the door was not only left open, but that Dougal, in his retreat, had, by carrying off the keys along with him, taken care that no one should exercise his office of porter in a hurry. "'He has glimmerings of common sense now, that creature Dougal,' said Campbell. "'He kenned an open door might have served me at a pinch.' We were by this time in the street. "'I tell you, Robin,' said the magistrate, in my poor mind, if ye live the life ye do, ye should ha' ain o' your gillies doorkeeper in every jail in Scotland, in case o' the warst. Ain o' my kinsman a bailey in Ilka Burke will do just as well, cousin Nicol. So good night, or good morning to ye, and forget not the clashin of Aberfoyle. And without waiting for an answer, he sprung to the other side of the street and was lost in darkness. Immediately on his disappearance, we heard him give a low whistle of peculiar modulation, which was instantly replied to. "'Here to the Highland Devils,' said Mr. Jarvie. "'They think themselves in the skirts of Ben Lomond's already. Where they may gang, we winged, whistling about without minding Sunday or Saturday.' Here he was interrupted by something which fell with a heavy clash on the street before us. "'Good guide us, what's this marrow?' "'Matty, hold up the lantern. "'Conscience, if it isn't of the keys. "'Well, that's just as well. "'They cost the burg siller, "'and there might have been some clavers about a loss of them. "'Oh, and Belly Graham were to get word of this nice job. "'It would be a sair hair in my neck.' "'As we were still but a few steps from the tollbooth door, "'we carried back these implements of office, "'and consigned them to the head jailer.' who, in lieu of the usual mode of making good his post by turning the keys, was keeping sentry in the vestibule till the arrival of some assistant, 
whom he had summoned in order to replace the Celtic fugitive Dougal. Having discharged this piece of duty to the burg, and my road lying the same way with the honest magistrates, I profited by the light of his lantern, and he by my arm, to find our way through the streets, which, whatever they may be now, were then dark, uneven, and ill-paved. Age is easily propitiated by attentions from the young. The bailey expressed himself interested in me, and added, that since I was nane of that play-acting and play-ganging generation, whom his saw hated, he would be glad if I would eat a roasted haddock, or a fresh herring, at breakfast with him the morn, and meet my friend Mr. Owen, whom by that time he would place at liberty. "'My dear sir,' said I, when I had accepted of the invitation with thanks, "'how could you possibly connect me with a stage?' "'I wotna,' replied Mr. Jarvie. "'It was a blethering phrasin child they call, fair service, "'that came at e'en to get an order "'to send the crier through the town for ye at Scry a day the morn. "'He tells me what ye were, "'and how ye were sent frae your father's house "'because ye wouldn't be a dealer, "'and that ye might not disgrace your family "'with ganging on the stage. "'And Hammergaw, our presenter, brought him here, "'and said he was an old acquaintance.' but I sent them both away, with a flay in their lug for bringing me sick an errand, on sick a night. But I see he's a fool creature, ah, the gither, and clean mistain about ye. I like ye, man, he continued. I like a lad that will stand by his friends in trouble. I ain't did it myself, and say did the deacon my father, rest and bless him. But he shouldn't keep or mickle company for highland men, and they wall cattle. Can a man touch pitch and not be defiled? I mind that. No doubt the best and wisest may err. Once, twice, and thrice have I backslidden. Man, and doing three things, this night. My father would not have believed his een, if he could have looked up and seen me do them. He was by this time arrived at the door of his own dwelling. He paused, however, on the threshold, and went on in a solemn tone of deep contrition. Firstly, I had thought my ain thoughts on the Sabbath. Secondly, I had gained security for an Englishman. And, in the third and last place, well a day, I have let an ill door escape from the place of imprisonment. But there's a balm in Gilead, Mr. Osbaldistone. Matty, I can let my cell in, see Mr. Osbaldistone to Lucky Flitters, at the corner of the wines. Mr. Osbaldistone, in a whisper, You'll offer nae incivility to Matty. She's an honest man's daughter, and a near cousin of the Laird of Limmerfields. End of Volume 2, Chapter 6 Recording by Katie Riley, June 2010